Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the November 1st, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. Well, if it's November 1st, it must be early election day on campus today from now until 8 p.m. And this will be at the mobile unit out the flagpole pavilion outside the administration building on Ring Road. This week, we wrap up the local candidate coverage with Irvine mayoral candidate Don Wagner, city council candidate Christina Shea, and mayoral candidate Catherine Daigle. With the onslaught of mailings and commercials, let's sort out what $1 million might buy in a city election. Actually, with the pileup of mailers to date, I was inspired to paper my own front door with the scariest ones for Halloween. We'll be right back after a short station break. My first guest is Don Wagner, one of four candidates running for the two-year term as mayor of Irvine. He's currently serving out his last term as assemblyman representing California's 68th district, where he served on aging and long-term care. And I'm going to list more committees, appropriations, budget, education, and the judiciary committees. Previously, he was elected to three terms as a member of the South Orange County Commission College District Board of Trustees. He practiced law at Kendall Nanderson and later with Wagner and Associates. He's the founder of and first president of the Orange County chapter of the Federal Society. Don Wagner earned a bachelor's degree in English from the University of California, LA, UCLA, and a law degree at the University of California Hastings College of Law. He first appeared on Ask a Leader when running for his first term as assemblyman. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Don Wagner. Hi, Claudia. It's great to be back. I do have one correction, though. Oh, there my are not gosh. Four, but there are five of us running for I mayor, noticed there was... so uh, there you have it. There there are five. I noticed that sort of in there, but we're, um, we didn't see them at the Chamber of Commerce, and that's what one particular form that they had, so that Correct. that's what threw me off. But that person is not exactly on our radar, unfortunately, for all of us. So I let's start with, speaking of being on radars and all that, where... Don Wagner, have you been campaigning around town, and what are you learning from constituents? Good question. And I've been around uh, a number of places, um, walking precincts, you know, representative, what, what I hope is a representative sample of the city. You know, we have about 255,000 residents. So in a campaign cycle that um, is short, and I know voters think it's really, really long, but uh but in, but in practice, it's only actually just a couple of months. Um, you can't hit all 255,000. Uh, so, so I've been walking um, some selected neighborhoods. I've also had uh, the opportunity to appear, as you say, on a number of these different forums. Um, I've also had an opportunity to, um, me and the, the slate I'm running uh, with, Christina Shea and Anthony Quo, we've, we've had an opportunity to talk to some voters outside of you know, some, uh, some grocery stores and, and things like that. That you know, the, basically the the tried and true uh, pressing the flesh that candidates have been doing um, since the founding of this country. So we've uh, been been trying to get all over Irvine. So all over representative meaning like, gen- like where? Well, like my own neighborhood um, here in Northwood, Northwood. Um, I've had an opportunity to walk some uh, precincts down in Woodbridge. Um, I've had some volunteers that have been out uh, in the, the Woodbridge area, uh, Deerfield, let me think, we got across uh, the 405 down off of Michelson um, about two weekends ago. Um, so, you know, as I say, picking up representative uh, samples of the district, um, I was out and had uh, a couple of volunteers with me last weekend out in um, um, the um, Woodbury areas. So, you know, trying try to pick up as, as many um, different spots and get the feel of as many different communities and neighborhoods as possible. And what are and they I'll telling tell you? you? They're, they're all saying one thing, traffic's bad. Okay, well, as you know, we are going to get <laughs> no to that. No surprise there. So the measures, um, 
let's talk about then those measures that you address to uh, I notice in the bullet points on your mailers you deal with the flow of the traffic but I would I'm concerned about how what do you propose to actually reduce the trips per household I think that's where we're going to have an impact environmentally and productively economically speaking and all that well, I think what you need to do is realize that the first thing to do is when you're in a hole is stop digging. And that's why the first point of my five-point traffic plan is to not approve a single development, residential or commercial, that doesn't fully mitigate whatever traffic trips that it's going to generate. And the problem that I think we've seen develop in Irvine over the course of the last five to to 10 years, really, is that we've had too many developments, the majority down around the uh, Irvine Business Complex area, or down Jamboree, Michelson, Maine, that area, that um, don't fully comply with the master plan, that are special deals with developers that are sort of these one-off deals, okay, you can build this project, um, and, and we don't need you to comply with the master plan, we'll make an exception here, there, and then pretty soon you've got just a ton of, uh, of exceptions. No exceptions in, in my book. Um, what ends up happening is you lose the balance that exists in the master plan, which very clearly and very competently balances residential, education, and commercial uses. The idea being that somebody who you know lives at a particular place does not always have to get in their car when they want to go out to a restaurant to eat, doesn't always have to get in their car when they want to go to uh, a store, doesn't always have to get in their car when they're going off to work, uh, doesn't have to get in a car well, when they want to go uh, in, out to a park. You raise an interesting and point, though. that's what, excuse me, just real quick, and that's what we've lost, and I want to make sure we get back to that. Well, when you mention in your bullet point, you're talking about increasing the speed of and the flow and adding lanes and all that the urban design critics inform me that in order to encourage pedestrians, you need to be able to shorten that radius where the turning curve is that uh, otherwise right. uh, uh, avails to cars to maintain their speed. And that also the encouraging factor for pedestrians is a car parked on the curb. If you don't have any cars parked on the curb, then there there's a reticence of pedestrians to use those sidewalks. So I'm I'm not sure if your goals all can align to for out for being successful. Well, I'm not sure where you say my plan Andreas, has anything to do with uh, widening streets necessarily. You were or talking about turning, adding lanes, turning radiuses. Hang on, the the five point plan that I've got on my uh, website does say that what we will do is vigorously implement the traffic study that the city council finally got around to doing. It it was amazing to me that it took the city council as long as it did to finally get us a traffic study. There are some things in there that the traffic study says can and should be done. And I want to take a good, hard look at them and do them. And some of those things it says to do, well, we're going to do, for example, um, permissive left turn lanes, uh, non-peak hours at six particular intersections. And my question would be, okay, why just six intersections? Why not throughout the city of Irvine? Why non-peak hours? The problem is the peak hours. Why not expand some of these ideas? And the thing that I'm doing that is something nobody else that's running for mayor is even considering, in fact, they're all scoffing at the idea, is actually hiring a professional traffic engineer, put him or her in charge of figuring out what works, what doesn't, based on the science of traffic engineering, and maybe what you just say about cars parked on the sides of the streets and and turning radiuses. Um, look, that's I'm not a traffic professional. I can't say whether you're right or wrong. I want us to hire somebody who can, and then empower that person to um, uh, figure out what works, what doesn't work, why it works, why it doesn't work, report to the mayor, report to the city council, and let's get it done. But you know, you, you can't look to the mayor and say, well, solve the traffic problem. I'm not a traffic engineer, but I will empower people who are and who can. 
So I, uh, there's a lot to be addressed in there. We've got lots of points to cover still. So I, unfortunately, I, I, I have lots of follow-up questions okay. about what the infrastructure and all that. The traffic czar has a um, would have a minimal role. That the infrastructure is all about negotiating what a development order is, how it's approved. And so, unfortunately, we can't get in it briefly. What is your position on a city business tax? I am and have always been for as low and reduced taxes as possible. Um, I was glad to see the city council eliminate the business license tax, um, and I am in favor of doing whatever can be done to make this city more business-friendly, which, by the way, actually does help our traffic problem. If we've got businesses locating here, people can live here and can walk to work or ride their bikes to work as opposed to have to drive in from, from somewhere else. Um, so, you know, so at this point, um, I'm going to tell you I am certainly not going to be raising taxes and am looking to reduce them as much as possible. Um, true, true story, when uh, Anthony Quo and Christina Shea and I got together for our very, very first meeting to even consider whether we were going to run as a slate together, one, the, the, honestly, the first thing we talked about was what can we as a city council and a mayor do to reduce taxes in the city of Irvine for all of our residents, including our businesses. We want this to be as business and citizen-friendly a place as possible. Well, candidates have earlier discussed the ratio of police officer to constituents dropping off. And since public safety is your stated Mm -hmm. number one priority, is there a nexus between funds that could be raised that we know businesses were willing when this business tax was suspended completely, that is there a nexus between the funds that could be raised from this tax to support adding to the police department to improve the safety ratio? Sure, but but realize money's fungible. And the issue is, um, what is the right ratio? to keep Irvine the safest city of its size. And my number one pledge, before fixing traffic, before dealing with the Great Park, before anything else I want to do as a city council member or as a mayor, is to say that if we aren't safe, then none of the rest of this matters. And there are lots of things government can and should do, but everybody agrees the single most important thing it needs to do is keep us safe. So my pledge has been to make sure that the resources are available to the police department to do its job and keep us as safe as they have done in the past, and they've done a wonderful job of it. Um, I'm going to make sure they have the resources. That, I mean, realize, of course, that um, if I put money in one place, I have to either, I have to take it from someplace else. I need to either take it from the citizens, or I need to take it from other government projects. And what I am proposing as a limited government conservative is to say that um, I'm going to make sure the public safety is funded adequately, and that's the first role of government. And then we're going to have to make the hard choices to, to balance the budget. I object to a government that just says reflexively, hey, I need more money. I'm going to tax you some more. That's exactly what the state of California did in my first term in the legislature. We were facing a $25 billion budget, and instead of us reducing spending and changing the way we did business, all we did is pass Proposition 30, and we dipped back into the taxpayer's pocketbook. But I want to stay with the state, with the the fiscal Uh, aspect of the municipal budget, and I know that there were lots of corporations that said, actually, we don't mind, uh, you know, paying a business tax and there is a nexus between public safety that they benefit from that it seems like it's a reasonable tax to impose on businesses which was only fifty dollars i mean all the big corporations uh, i mean i'm saying all but many of them were in the press saying they were happy to do that i want to move along now to uh campaign finance where is your financial support coming from my financial support is coming overwhelmingly from uh, individuals and, um, well, basically small donors, because Irvine's got a $470 uh, campaign contribution uh, limit. And so I can't raise more than $470 from any one source. 
Um, I'm getting it from friends. I'm getting it from people I've worked with. I'm getting it from businesses I've worked with in the past. I'm getting it from folks who recognize that my small government approach and my experience um, are what the city of Irvine needs right now to um, uh, you know move forward uh, with all of the problems that we have. Um, the overwhelming amount of the support that I'm getting that's available to me to spend is coming from those small sources because, frankly, that's the law. Okay, and I'm just, just for our listeners, the filings from the city clerk, they include, the, the those are the filings that we know about, the California mm-hmm. Real Estate Pack, the Orange County Business Council's Biz Pack, the Mor- Orange County, the, the California Mortgage Bankers Pack, the California Apartment Association Pack, Caterpillar, California Dealers Pack, the OC mm-hmm. Tax Pack, and numerous car dealerships and the, the dealership pack itself. The Strader families, which are part of Starpoint Ventures, both of them as individuals and the Starpoint Ventures, to, to name a few of the supporters. But what sure. about the, the, the larger share the of the your million dollars the available funds? Irvine, the Orange County Business Council in, in Irvine, the realtors in Irvine, and look at what they're given. They're given $470. Well, but then for your general outreach, which is underwritten by various places that that can underwrite what's going to be almost a million dollars worth of of campaign finances toward advocacy of different candidates, largely yours. But um, no, not yeah, largely. There's at, my mailers are are identifying the following contributors: Atlas Pack, California Homeowners, Taxpayers for Ethical Government, Irvine Orange County Freedom Fund, sponsored by the Moving Orange County Forward, and so on. So that's where I, I understand. Do you? What is your position on money contributed to on behalf of a candidate whose contributors and the individuals are not disclosed? What is your position on that? I'm my my position is as far as I know, all of those groups have followed the law, and as you probably know, and and I'll make sure your listeners know this, none of those contributions are. Uh, in in any way uh, something that I can control or uh, direct how they get used. Okay, I understand, but my, okay, my so, question so is, you do you think it's fair support, for the constituents? And I'm going out and I, I gave you uh, individuals and a number of small businesses, and for example, that make up the OC uh, Orange County Business Council, for example, the realtors that make up the Orange County Association of Realtors, and gave you, I mean, that's, that's the support that I'm soliciting that I can control. I understand um, that, but I, others, what John Wagner, I was trying to find Marianne out. Marianne and say she is, is excuse not me, a, uh, some, somebody we can... Um, what, uh, no, what we're trying to find out is your ahead. position. My question, I'll repeat it. What is your disposition about sources that are the individuals of which are not disclosed? How do you... What is your position for that constituents will never know the identity behind who contributed to the Atlas Pack, the California Homeowners Taxpayers for Ethical Government, and the, the like? I don't think that that's at all accurate. All of those organizations report who they get their contributions from. That's been the law for years. No, we don't. We actually don't know who they are. We, 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 we have those entities, but that's, that's considered I, part of what is known uh, as dark money, and, do, and we have no, no disclosures. Not. It is known as dark money. Dark money is the money that was coming in from out of state, and there were laws that were passed last year that put a put a stop to this. Well, who are the California homeowners then? Who that are? I don't know. Okay, so that's, I don't know. That is my question originally: is your disposition about whether we are entitled to know who are these people that are sending these huge I think, I think they disclose everything that they're supposed to disclose. I don't know. And, I mean, I know actually, for example, some of the individual members of the Atlas Pack, um, friends of mine, uh, an attorney. But we don't know who they are. Um, uh, Ben Pugh is a member of the Atlas Pack. Lee Lowry, who's running for city council in Newport Beach, is a member of the Atlas Pack. Dave uh, Dave Bartles, uh, another guy I used to work with, is a member of the Atlas Pack. I mean, these are individuals. Um, the First Amendment does allow them the freedom to associate, and that's what they're doing. I also think that they've all complied with the law, but I don't know. I'll also tell you this. I can't tell you who makes up the California Homeowners Association. I would assume it's a bunch of homeowners associations. I'll also tell you this. Not a single one of them has come to me and said, hey, Wagner, when you're mayor, I need you to vote this way, that way, or the other way on anything. Patrick Strader 
you mentioned him right. and Starpoint. None of those people have ever come to me and said, hey, Wagner, when you're mayor, I'm going to need your vote on this, that, or the other thing. Um, it, it doesn't happen that. It doesn't happen. Okay, I've still got more to cover, and we've got very precious little time. Now, when I've had climate scientists previously on Ask a Leader, they've talked about promising local initiatives that would take up the charge where leadership is wanting on the federal level. Have you any plans in that arena? No. No no leadership in terms of (laughs) addressing climate change? Yes, I, I actually am going to do what I can to protect the citizens of Irvine from efforts to waste their money. Um, It is clear to me that what we can do as a city of 255,000 on climate change in a state of 38 million that's already trying to do stuff, in a country of 320 million, in a you know, continent that's got something like 20% of the population of the world is an absolute, total, and complete drop in the bucket. The state is taking the lead. The state is actually, in my mind, going way overboard with what they're attempting to do. And I am not going to contribute to the problem and dump more um, uh, rules and regulations on the city of Irvine. I'm going to try to get our traffic problem fixed. I'm going to get our great park uh, built, and I am going to do what the citizens of Irvine need done and let Jerry Brown and the rest of the folks up in Sacramento continue their efforts to save the globe. Unfortunately, we've, um, we only have, we're, we're over time, but I do have to ask about your taking out papers to run for California's attorney general campaign for 2018. Can you tell us what your plans are there? Sure. I, t- I did that um, several years ago when I was um, uh, looking at that as a possibility. Um, I have not raised any money into that account. I am not running for attorney general. Um, I've said that publicly. Um, the folks who first reported that simply don't know how to read those those papers. They said I had just opened the account. Uh, not true. Um, well, no, I just saw so, that so when no, I went I'm to the city clerk. Okay. Well, we have had the Mike, opportunity. Mike Ramos is uh, running for attorney general. He's the DA out in San Bernardino County, and he is an absolutely fantastic candidate. Well, we don't have time. I, we can't talk about endorsements for other races right now. It's, it's, a, it's all about you. So my guest has <laughs> been Don Wagner, one of five candidates running for the mayor of Irvine. I want to thank you for being on the show today, and we'll be back with a short break uh, with city council candidate and incumbent Christina Shea. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. Bye. Bye. Thanks for staying tuned, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have with us Christina Shea, who is the only incumbent running for a city council or mayoral position on this election ballot here. So, to introduce her, she was first elected to the council in 1992 and then elected mayor in 1996 to 2000. She returned to the council in uh, 2002 and served till 2010, then was elected to a seat in 2012. She is a real estate agent with Prism Link Properties and the president of her own governmental relations firm, Shea Consulting. Christina Shea has served as vice president of the Irvine Community Land Trust, chair of the task force to review housing needs of the developmentally disabled, the Ad Hoc Veterans Affordable Housing Committee, and the Orange County Great Park Board of Directors. She has also been a member of the Irvine Unified School District Liaison Committee, the Orange County Sanitation District, and the boards of the American Cancer Society, the El Toro Reuse Planning Authority, Human Options, the Irvine Child Care Project and the Transportation Corridor Agencies. Those are the toll roads. She studied political science at Irvine Valley College and Cal State Fullerton. She joins us this morning uh, live from Irvine. Uh, Welcome to the show, Christina Shea. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, you do have an extensive record. And as I said, you're the only incumbent up for re-election. With respect to the city's master plan amidst current growth rates and need for mix of uses, would you use Woodbridge Village that as a case study for how you were involved in maintaining that mix? Well, uh, number one, as we all know, that city of Irvine is nationally and internationally recognized for our master plan community. It was designed with two business sectors on the exterior of our city. Of course, UCI, uh, the university, was sort of the um, 
footprint of the entire design. And then we have all these villages that we have built uh, with the village concept and commercial centers to uh, serve those communities. So our master plan is something I've always adhered to and, and believe that it's something that's made our city great. What I'm concerned I, about is what, yes, happened with the Woodvid, Woodbridge Village in terms of that mix was on the chopping block. Yes, it was. And actually, I came out and opposed it. I contacted the Irvine company, and because I used to live in Woodbridge almost uh, 16 years, and I said, you design our city with a master plan, which is these village concepts, and now you want to go in and just wipe that out and put apartments. I'm in opposition to it, and I think there was a support on both sides of the political spectrum, as well as all the community members, and they backed down, and now they're going to be redesigning that center, which we all appreciate that change. And so uh, were you able to, what were the votes uh, when you were opposing that particular redevelopment? Well, it actually did not, that particular project did not come before the city. Uh, it could have come before the city, it never came before city council, but because the Irvine Company decided to stay within the parameters of the general okay. plan approvals, uh, just to redesign the retail, there didn't need to be any city approvals. So was was there a grassroots reaction that contributed to putting some of the wind in your wings, as it were? I think so, yes. There were a lot of Woodbridge residents uh, that, even the WVA, the association there, were, everyone was engaged. We were all on the same page, and we really believed that that was the pressure that came to bear to allow us to maintain the integrity of Woodbridge Center. Okay, moving right along, where have you been campaign Christina Shea and what are you learning from constituents this lap? Well the one thing I love to do is get out and meet the residents. I've been out passing brochures all over the city. Uh, it's a lot different than when I first ran because the city was a lot smaller. We had like about 130,000 residents when I first ran. Now we've got over 250. So the city is a lot larger. It used to be 44 uh, square miles. Now we're 66 square miles. So I'm out a lot. I go to markets. I love to do that. I go door to door meeting people. And what the top issue with most people today is these signs all over the city. We have so many candidates running. People are very upset about the clutter they're seeing. But, you know, of course, that is uh, protected by the Supreme Court and uh, freedom of speech. So that's dif difficult for us to control. Uh, but people are concerned about safety. They're concerned about traffic. They're concerned about overdevelopment. And it, is, it didn't just happen. This, many of these development approvals came in within the last 10 years under different uh, leadership in the Planning Commission. As the Planning Commission is the main body that approves most of the planning and development in our city, may, many people don't understand that. But there was a different mix of individuals over the last 10 years that served on the Planning Commission. My big issue is the apartments. Uh, I serve on the land trust. I support the affordable apartments for our students, our seniors. Um, and our veterans, but we've gone from a 25% uh, goal to a over 50% goal now of apartments in the city, and I think that density is creating so much of the traffic, and we, we are going to need to get a handle on that and to control and set a limit on further development moving forward. So what have your planning commissioners' uh, votes been over these last uh, years you've been in office? Well, you know, they're mixed. Some of them, because we are pro-business, have voted for some of these uh, developments. Greg uh -huh. uh, Smith is my representative. He tends to be very much more um, thoughtful and careful. I know at times the Irvine Company has been very much in opposition to him. Even he was thinking of running because he has been more thoughtful about development. Uh, so he's been in, in a position where I am is to, to address uh, a development in a much more practical and sensible way that really works over a long-term slower implementation of development. So that's where Greg Smith and I have come down on this issue. And Anthony Cole, he has also been in a position to... Yeah, he's not my planning commissioner. He actually works for oh, uh, Dr. Right. Stephen Choi. I'm, that's right. I forgot about that. When I had you on the slate, I conflated that as your appointment. I, my apologies. For those, no, of no, you, not, uh -huh. for those of you who just joined us, my guest for this portion of the hour, and we are trying desperately to cover all three candidates, and it's not going to quite be even time, unfortunately. This is uh, You're listening to Christina Shea. She's one of 11 candidates running for two seats on Irvine City Council. Well, I'm hoping I can ask mostly. We're going to have to do some short answers with to short questions, what's your position on the city business tax? Well, when I first was elected in 1992, the first thing I said I was going to do was move out the tiered tax, business tax, to energize and enrich our business community. So we moved from that tiered tax 
which was really unfair, especially the small business, to a $50 business tax. Recently, we have now wiped out the entire business tax, so you can run your own home business with no cost. You just have to file your annual form. And we are starting to see a lot of generation of business and growth, which we need to keep the economy strong in our city. Uh, people love to know they can come to a city and they're not overtaxed, and that is why I think we have such a great uh, economic vitality in our city, because we're so focused on no taxation, excessive taxation on our residents, which I have not voted for any tax increases for years and years, because we have plenty of income coming in from property tax and sales tax, and then also to energize our business so that they can contribute uh, to the welfare, through the retail, and et cetera, their property tax for the betterment of our local community. Well, with the other candidates, I've been asking all of them, but I'm when I remembered that the business tax was suspended altogether, I know there were many large corporations that were surprised that they weren't, I mean, they found $50 to be a rather small sum for them. And is there not a nexus between the public safety that's a part of the city budget and that money left on the table from not asking for that business tax of only $50 per business, regardless of the size? Well, yeah, the business tax did not bring in that much revenue. It brought in about 800000 a year. And, and, and to some 800000 Yes, it did. And Around how many police officers would that maybe support if we were working with a police well, ratio that's starting to drop? Well, let, let, me, let me explain to that. That money went into a different fund. It didn't uh-huh. fund police officers. What we have done, which is so wonderful to get to the point of why we're so uh, economically healthy, is I worked with our city council, our city attorney, we went to the state of Sacramento and brought back $292 million a year and a half ago that's going into our general fund that many other cities were not able to get from redevelopment money. So we're very healthy economically. We're we're down to an unemployment rate of about 4%. Even though we're not growing at a rate we would love, we have great sales tax. So we have wonderful revenues. We have probably $60 million in one reserve. We have 35 to almost $40 $40 million in another reserve, and we have balanced our budget over the last three or four years since I've come back on council. So, so I know that, yes. I'm, I'm, so the 800000 is an incentive, it was an incentive to encourage business uh, to be more vital, to bring in more business, and we're seeing that benefit. So there's always this argument, well, if you take money away, it's going to be something that's going to damage your budget. It's actually going to enhance our budget by giving incentive to business. And it wasn't that much, $50, one way or the other. What does it matter? So I'm going to try to get cover these rather expansive last two questions. Climate scientists that have previously been on Ask a Leader, they've talked about promising local initiatives that would take up the charge where leadership in climate change is not happening at all on the federal level. Have you any plans in that arena, Christina Shea? Well, that's a wonderful question because it's not do I have plans. I have had plans, and we've worked on them. Uh, We, over the last many years, we've moved into um, our city policy of increasing our green waste capture, which we are doing now. It's up to over 50%. We implemented in the uh, mid-2000s a citywide policy that required our developers to build all their new homes, all their new apartments, LEED certified, which is making our homes green and energy efficient. We also... um, uh, through the city, all of our uh, buildings since the mid-2000s are now being built with all LEED-certified uh, green uh, plans so that we're, our, our city is really always very innovative. So that's something I've worked on. We've also now turned over our iShuttle program, which is a, a shuttle that has not done well uh, run by the city. We just did not have the capability to finance us to do it. Now OCTA has taken it over. We're hoping that they're going to implement a... Um, a more uh, expanded program that will go into residential communities. This gets people out of their cars and uh, into a you know a, trans- a transportation mode that saves um, you know our air pollution or whatever. The one thing I'm really looking at, and people just love this idea to help solve traffic, but also get people out of their cars, is to create our city as a city of bridges. We're now implementing over. 20 to 30 million to start building bridges across Jamboree to allow people, to, the pedestrians, not to have to, you know, cross over uh, at the street level, but be able to use bridges, get out of their cars, walk more. I want to see more walkability throughout our villages. So my plan is to implement a bridge plan throughout the city and will become like a, a city of bridges. And if you've been to Santa Clarita, you'll know they have many, many oh. uh, bridges there. And it makes the city just 
much more walkable and connected, and it gets people out of their cars. So I so, think all of these plans are going to, not only in the future, but presently, are doing what we need to do to, at a local level to preserve our environment. I wanted to, there isn't time for me to ask about Measure M funds that were returned uh, back to the state. Uh, I'll encourage constituents and listeners to follow up on the history of what's become of those. I think it was about five million, three or five million dollars worth of Measure M funds that were not used that the city council had returned to the state. But I, the last question is about your financial support. Where is it coming from? Well, I've raised probably about thirty-three thousand um, dollars. I'm I'm not a major fundraiser. That's never been what I do well. But I've raised about thirty-three thousand. I'm doing TV ads and so on. Uh, but most of my money's come from some of the local businesses, of, of residents that like me. I have a a large constituents of Taiwanese that have supported me, and they're just such sweet people. And they've raised a lot of money for me because if you remember back in the late two thousands. Um, Councilmember Crom went to China, signed an agreement to vacate our relationship with Taiwan without telling them. Our sister city program signed a one China agreement. She came back, and our Taiwanese community were so angry. They literally were thrown under the bus, if you want to un- understand it pretty clearly. Well, I- it was terrible. We had hundreds and hundreds of people come to city council. So I've got a lot of support from our Chinese and Taiwanese community, people that I've been around a long time that know they trust me, that they know I will be there for them. So I've had a pretty good crossover of um, individual support throughout the city, and I'm very proud and pleased of that support. Well, I know that there was actually, it was a very nuanced and a very intricate transaction with the language that was uh, slipped in and out, and I so I encourage people. What's the one word? What's the quick phrase that they can Google? They can uh, research for themselves the sister city Taiwan and uh, People's Republic of China debacle. What, what I'm not really sure how that would be set up, but it was the one China policy. One China, Tom okay, but, but proposed it with some other council no, member. It was really a, a bad deal. It was a complicated deal. To do justice to the topic, because I know we have sophisticated listeners, and I know they appreciate nuance, and I uh, want to make sure that they follow that up. So uh, yeah, they might be able to Google uh, Taiwanese uh, One uh, China Policy, Beth Crum, some of those names and ideas. But it was a big deal. We had I understand. people all over Southern California to come to City Hall. I understand. I, I live right next to a sister city board member who was very instructive in uh, all of the intricacies of all of the sister cities, which is uh, was a real, and, he was a very fond of information. And our sister city program, which was not good. Now it's just basically a a non-entity, so I would like to reinstate that as well, hopefully in the next year if I'm re-elected. Well, I, it's a great so, program. It's a great program. So and but if I understand it, it costs about thirty five thousand dollars to mail ba- uh, mailers to every uh, flyer to every resident or uh, vote uh, constituent, a registered voter. So if you've only raised thirty three thousand, then so some of my other mailers that I'm getting on your behalf are coming from other organizations like the Orange County Freedom Fund uh, uh, and moving. OC forward and those kinds of things. What yeah, is your, I think what is so. your position? I, again, I absentee, so I get my absentee ballot within three or four days right after they're sent out. I mail them in. Then I don't get any more mail. I have. I did get a, a piece from the Irvine Police Association. I've been endorsed by our police, by our fire. So I did get. I get. A, I got a couple flyers from them. Um, and but I haven't seen. I did get some slate mailers that I'm on. Uh, that I, you know, they have those small little slate mailers that come out. But yes, I've heard there's been a lot of mail that's come out for a lot of different well, people. I was and able I think to. I've been a re- I think I've been a recipient of some of that, which it's been very rare because in the past that's never happened. This is it's uh, only escalating. I don't know how many more I'm going to be getting, but these are. But so, what is your position? This will be the last one, and I hope you'll give us the shorthand answer. What I'll is try. your position about campaign contributions that are made without disclosing the individuals that made those contributions? Well, I think it's wrong. Back in the uh, when I was mayor, I actually we had a policy that we put forward, and I led it that we would not allow independent expenditures. Our city attorney came back six months later, said we're violating Supreme Court law. We can't do that, and and obviously so, it overturned. So people have a right to do independent expenditures. I believe they need to say who they are. I think the public has a right to know. So you are on record as you have have requested of the large donors out in the area, you have requested of them to come out publicly for the support of all of the political materials that we're receiving? 
Well, they have to follow the law. And I I understand the law, but there's a, opportunities for non-disclosure for the the 501c4s. Are you what is your position I'm on not familiar, I honestly I'm not familiar with those. I know that they have to anybody giving independent expenditures have to file with the state of California and that all shows you can go to the state uh, secretary of state's list and you can see who's been donating money, but I, I'm not familiar with with that, I do know that I would expect anybody donating to a candidate needs to share who they are. Well, it's I just, just that, that's only fair. The California homeowners, they were very involved in a lot of mailers last time, and I thought, I'm going to see those people again, and sure enough, they're on about every other mailer that I'm getting. Well, well I want to thank you for... You bring up a good point, Claudia, because the Irvine Community News and Views, this fake newspaper, and it is a fake newspaper, it's a political mailer, you have no idea who's paying for it. They will not disclose who's paying for it. It goes out every three weeks. It supports one candidate, Marianne Guido. And uh, we and we have a, a symmetry there. We have uh, Dick Ackerman also contributing, uh, uh, mailing out some kind of a, a a piece that's going on, and it's talking about it's a cheerleader for a, a different uh, enterprise, and we don't well, have time to go and into I are that. On the same page, Claudia, because I believe, and I think you believe the same, and I think most voters do. I don't care what side of the page you're on, whether you're part of the community news and views or the other side, they need to disclose who they are. And I agree with you. Voters need to have a right to know who's voting and who's supporting, I'm sorry, who's supporting certain candidates. I agree with you. I appreciate that you made, you're on record with that, and I'm really looking forward to you being very vocal about how undisclosed donors are to be disclosed in this process. Well, I am so sorry we've run way over, and I want to thank you for being on the show. Christina Shea was on. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you. She is the one incumbent. Uh, she is a city council member running for re-election. And we'll be back with Catherine Daigle, mayoral candidate, in just as fast as I can dial her up. Thank you. That was Bela Fleck, Flight of the Cosmic Hippo. Thank you for staying tuned with us all. We have as our last guest, and we are racing through the questions. I hope uh, that some of you can refer back to Catherine Daigle's previous appearance on Ask a Leader when she ran for mayor in 2014 to help fill in more of her portfolio. Catherine Daigle has worked as a legal finance and executive more than 20 years as a vice president of finance human resource and legal affairs with a multi-million dollar company and a small business owner she's founded two businesses knd legal consulting a legal a limited partnership and a paralegal outsourcing associates she serves at the twice elected director to woodbridge village association and she served on the board of the irvine donor committee Catherine Daigle has volunteered for Legal Aid Society of Orange County. She completed her BA and master's degrees at the University of Phoenix and her law degree. She uh, studied at Concord Law School. She, she received that law degree. Welcome back to the show, Catherine Daigle. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. We're talking with all the candidates about the whole city master plan and the mix and the need for mixed uses with each one of those. You were a part and could observe up close what was already going, almost going to be on the chopping block with the Woodbridge Village concept that was going to vote for subsequent development orders in unimproved properties. What was your involvement briefly with the Woodbridge Village being maintained? Uh, the new Woodbridge Village that is currently being uh, renovated, is that what you're referring to? That's right. But the redevelopment was uh, up for grabs. The Irvine, Con- the Irvine Company had contemplated moving the uh, re- reestablishing, redefining the use into uh, the commercial into residential. And the, re- the commercial would have been dispensed with entirely in that village. Uh, I don't believe that's accurate. No, uh, it was. board since... 2012, and the Irvine Company came to us, gosh, a few years ago, and had decided to mix uh, a more friendlier uh, shopping center for the Woodbridge residents. So I've always been in, in right alongside uh, uh, doing something like that. I was not interested 
I don't think any of us were interested in seeing any kind of home development or apartment complex or anything like that. Okay, as far as the your campaign is going, what are you learning and where are you campaigning? What are you learning from your constituents, Catherine Daigle? Um, like most, uh, we have the same complaints uh, as we had a couple of years ago. The high-density development, the excruciating traffic uh, because of the high-density uh, uh, development, and, of course, the level of services that we require in order to continue the populace. So the people have no places to, the new people coming into the city have very little to go to to take care of their families, such as daycare, schools are overcrowded. It's, it's, it's become a, um, uh, a lost city, so to speak. So what I'm looking to see is more of a Woodbridge type of setting where we are restricted on zoning. We try to be proactive in building the necessary infrastructure to support the housing and uh, move forward in that direction uh, because our master plan has not been updated in years. It's in the middle of doing that, but it's more of a reactive measure than a proactive measure. As a business person, we normally project out five and ten years growth, and for some reason, this city has put forward specifically from the planning commission and also the council is just steady growth without building the infrastructure to support it. So because of that, we have horrific traffic congestions at peak periods moving towards, um, for example, if it starts at 3 and doesn't end until after 7 in the evening, and in the morning from 6, it doesn't end until 10 or 11. So it has become a nightmare where even businesses can't make their deliveries within the city. For example, last night, I never even received my mail. So our mail is now becoming, we're receiving at 8 and 9 o'clock at night, no longer before 5. So there is a steady uptick in the amount of time people take to get in and out of the city, especially if you work here, or even to get home. So um, we're lacking some uh, infrastructure, proactive infrastructure and support services in order to uh, maintain the family unit. And that's that's uh, what I believe is currently going on. Well, I apologize for um, the such a minimal amount of time available to cover everything. So it doesn't allow me to follow that up with. Uh, how you would be negotiating with uh, subsequent uh, redevelopment or, or, I'm sorry, development orders. So I need to move on to your position on the city business tax. Well, uh, we eliminated the business license tax a year ago. So um, the only other items I would suggest since we have a steady revenue stream because of the development, so that's a very good thing, I would encourage of small businesses to follow the path of, of, of assisting us with uh, some of the traffic congestion by maybe staggering work time and for uh, a business tax incentive. So, um, you know, there's, there's something like this. But our business license was terminated by Mr. Lalloway about, I don't recall, about six months ago. So, and your position on the tax itself, would you reinstate it? No. You would not. So, for the corporations that express an interest in paying them, we have huge, we've got the home offices of many very large corporations. They they were kind of puzzled why they were not in a position to have to pay out even $50. Is that not leaving some money on the table? Christina Shea said it was about $800,000 that wasn't being collected. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Christina Shea is missing one of the, points, and that's because she is not educated in running a business. Well, she didn't support it, but she was saying that's how much money was available. But uh, So I'm just wondering, money left on the table, what each person's position is of all of the candidates that I've been interviewing on the show? No. 
it is not because the amount of money it costs for the city to maintain that tax you've got people having to do data entry keeping the updates doing the mailings out uh, a clerk to, to accept those so no uh, by the time you get through with all the government employees local government employees managing that small fifty dollars you're well in excess of any additional okay. funds Thank you. I've got two quick questions that unfortunately I had to pull, uh, put up here before my uh, the next show's up here. The climate scientists that have been on Ask a Leader, they've talked about local initiatives are the only game in town until the federal government steps up to offer some leadership. What are your plans in addressing climate change on the municipal level? To me, uh, all right, well, I have a two, two schools of thought there. Um, I am a proponent of cyclical climate change. I'm not a proponent of uh, this this hyped-up type of climate change on the overall planet. However, on a municipality, we can all, all get together and figure out how to be energy efficient with certain retrofits within the city. We can up our green building standards and zero waste. There is areas where we can take all of our fleets and move it to electric, replace and purchase more electric. So there, this is all very plausible. And in any new development, always use green um, uh, standards in order to, you know, when you build the structures, in order to save energy. And finally, wait, I'm sorry, we're running, we're almost running over at this point. What is your, fin- where is your financial support coming from, Catherine Daigle? Myself. You're f- self-funding the entire campaign? Yes, I am. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on the program today. And uh, I thank you for running for political office. I forgot to get that off with the other candidates this morning. And Catherine Daigle, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Claudia. Be blessed. Have a great weekend. Okay. Next week, we're going to have uh, my Election Day ritual. I'm calling it Ask a Voter. I'm lining up all kinds of voters, including the top anteater, to offer their voting stories, recent and near agent. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.